I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to BWI Live. I'm Thomas Frankar. We've got a lot of stuff going on today, and I mean a lot of stuff. We're going to have a breaking news segment built inside of the BWI Live show because there is so many fun, different, and interesting things happening in the world of Penn State football and basketball. So here's how this is going to happen. Basketball news broke this morning. Nate Bauer broke that news for us here at BWI first, so we're going to get to that, but because... It's not just uh, the news that is breaking. All hell is breaking loose uh, in basketball. All the news is happening. So Nate is going to spend a couple minutes with us, and then he's got to go do his other duties for us and be an excellent reporter that is uh, at the front end of all of this information. Greg Pickle will then join us after that, and he is going to give us his thoughts on Penn State uh, football, what we saw at practice, and we'll get into your regularly scheduled programming for uh, the BWI live show. The mailbag coming up, Between the Lines is coming up as well. So all of that today on the show, and that's to say we've got more transitions coming. As we just mentioned, Nate Bauer, Blue White Illustrated basketball reporter, breaking news this morning on a national level. Nate, what's going on with Penn State basketball? You know, look, I got to be, I don't want to take all the breaking news credit, right? Uh, Dick Weiss, Hoops Weiss, had a tweet late on, I, I don't know. Look, this is so weird. It's, you're caught in a purgatory of, two sides agreeing to something and it being on a path to, to getting there and it being at the finish line. But until it's done, until the ink is dry, it's not done. And so as we sit here on Wednesday morning, Mike Rhodes isn't the head coach of Penn state basketball, but there's a great, I mean, really excellent chance that he will be by about four thirty-five this afternoon. Your, um, obnoxious sticking to the facts has ruined my breaking news segment i'm sorry (laughs) no it's okay that's the news the news is as you and i talked about this morning agreed in principle expected to all of the things are lining up for this to happen but it has not happened yet uh correct Penn, penn state is set to name him head coach right and so semantics yes but important nonetheless uh right it they're ready for it penn Penn state is prepared to name him the head coach but it has to clear the hurdle of the compensation committee which is just a rubber stamp it'll be fine uh they'll they'll go through with it and that'll be it so uh you know uh, look i've done this long enough things can happen right Mm -hmm. things can change people can tell their side that it's happening and that it doesn't end up happening. But 
you know, as of right now, um, you know, Penn State is very much operating under uh, the knowledge that Mike Rhodes is going to be its next men's basketball coach. This story over the last week or so has dominated BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. Nate has been doing an awesome job. There were five different updates in the coaching search uh, timeline. Uh, and he was very thorough in terms of the number of candidates, the top candidates, how you could see how they were separating themselves, and, and he kept everyone really up to date with how this happened. So without going into all those details, which you can get at bluewhiteillustrated.com still if you want to go back and review everything and see what Nate has been doing, uh, without getting into all those details, how did we get here where Mike Rhodes is the candidate that uh, came from the pack to be the guy to lead yeah. Penn State, expected to be the guy yeah. to lead Penn yeah. State? I think it's, I think the, the like first point one A through point one B, C, D, E, right, is that Pat Kraft wanted a sitting head coach. He wanted an active head coach in men's college basketball. Uh, and so my understanding of the process is that there was a very wide net cast and, right, feelers were there was no limit. There was no limit to the number of people that they would uh, attempt to speak to and or gauge interest from. And so that, that is just very wide ranging, right? I mean, they, like, look, Penn state just had its head coach in Micah Shrewsbury, like stolen, right? It was poached. <laughs> Uh, Notre Dame decided that they wanted Micah Shrewsbury. They made enough uh, of an impression there. Micah had enough issues and some frustrations with Penn State that that match happened, right? Yeah. Is Micah left. And so that, that became a spot for him that was, uh, you know, it fit him. But there's a backside of this of Pat Kraft you know, having maybe a mindset of, all right, if, if that's going to happen to you, now you want to do it to somebody else. <laughs> right. And right. so, uh, and so Mike Rhodes of, of the candidates that were out there and, and certainly there were some who did not express a mutual interest in this job. Mike Rhodes is a guy who has a ton of experience and is at a, he's a sitting head coach at a basketball school. VCU is a basketball school. Now you might say to yourself, okay, it's not, um, it's not high major in the Atlantic 10, right? It's not, it's not, um, certainly it's not the big 10. It's not the big 12. It's not the sec, but they, they love basketball there. I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a big, it's a big deal with that program. And so uh, to, to be able to make the pitch, make the sell and, and get him to agree to, to, take on a Penn state basketball program that let's be honest, it just, is it in a better place today than when Micah Shrewsbury took it over? Uh, sure. Somewhat, somewhat uh, terms and conditions apply as always, right? There yeah. it, a lot it, left. To, to yeah. There's do. a, there's a, there's a precipice that they're standing on right now that does not feel comfortable if you're switching out your head coach and you have so many departures and so many guys that don't have long ties to the program, you don't have a lot of veterans here that have more eligibility left. There's a bunch of very desirable freshmen yep. with no head coach and yeah. the portal, but that's okay. That's okay. And that's, that's kind of the, um, 
it's just it's interesting because I, I think that there's there has been I have seen really uh, a lot of ends of the spectrum type of reaction to this. And even when we were leading up to it, right? I mean, I'm, I'm having these conversations in our message board and with our community and it, it became fairly clear on Sunday night that Mike Rhodes was the guy. He was the guy that Penn State was landing on. There were a few other loose ends to, to kind of tie up, but right. Once you can wrap your head around Mike Rhodes being the guy, now you have to form an opinion on it. And yeah. You know, uh, he's he's taking over a program that is gutted, right? Like it's it's just it's the aftermath of Armageddon, right? <laughs> like it's yeah. just it's just in in uh, a lot of uh, player absences. You know, you're going to lose the majority, if not the entirety, of uh, Mike Shrewsbury's staff, which is fine. I mean, mm -hmm. Mike Rhodes is going to have his own guys to bring with him. Um, so there's there's that end of things, but also you know, on the optimistic and, and maybe the realistic side, it, it's not impossible to cobble together a roster very quickly through the transfer portal. And right. the, the bottom line here is Micah Shrewsbury just did it, right? Like it, uh, two years ago, when this job first came open for Micah Shrewsbury, it was a rush to the exits, right? Yeah. And and even guys that uh, certainly, um, you know, you had Miles Dredd stick around, you had Seth Lundy stick around, um, obviously John Hara, those were, those were integral pieces to what Penn state became in the, the first year, but Isaiah Brockington left Jamari yep. Wheeler left. You, you had like some really big guys who chose to leave. This is a different situation, right? Uh, Micah Shrewsbury didn't have a first full recruiting class that he brought into the program. So it's just, it's just trying to keep some perspective here for people who are, uh, you know, taking all of this in that there's, really big challenges ahead yeah. for Mike Rhodes, but also reason to believe that, uh, that, that a lot of those can be addressed and, you know, figured out to the best of their ability as he starts this part of the process. As we said earlier, this breaking news comes to you live uh, just after 10 a.m. We're here on YouTube, part of the BWI live show. So we got some uh, comments here for Nate. PSU 5148 says, thanks for your coverage of this, Nate. Appreciate it. He has been excellent in coverage. One question I'll get in before the rest of my questions comes from Don. And this is really the, the other half of what you're talking about with, with the yep. transfer portal and with recruiting classes. Don asks, any thought on what players may be looking to come with uh, roads from VCU. No, I don't. I like, I do, but let's get this across the finish line. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm right. not first, um, first things I, first sort of guy. Yeah. I just, I just think that it puts, um, I, I just think it puts people in a tough spot when they haven't been able to communicate what their intentions are to, to the people that are, um, you know, around them and in this process. So like, it, can I sit here and say definitively uh, that somebody has has decided, made up their mind that they're coming with with roads to Penn State? No, I can't. Uh, is there some level of like flirtation, right? That that they're interested in following him? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. And so you, I mean, you it's can an just, opportunity. You can look at the yeah, it's an opportunity. This is a step up, right? You're moving into a power conference. Yep. There, there's a lot of that element to this. Of look. Things are different at Penn State, right? Like you, there are uh, understanding that Penn State isn't necessarily a resource-rich, or in the past hasn't been a resource-rich program. 
th- yeah. there's still there's still stuff there, right? You get to play against Big Ten opponents. Uh, yeah. So so I think it, it is an enticement. Bigger stage, uh, bigger spotlight, guys. more sure. opportunities to be on TV. You know, playing against quality competition. We only have a few minutes left here. Really, we have like 60 seconds left, and there's so many things I want to get to. We'll obviously have more as this develops. We'll have a full show at some point this week. We'll also be broadcasting any press conferences uh, here on our YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe to Blue White Illustrated so you don't miss any content, any more information, and any breaking news that happens throughout the rest of this coaching search. But I guess the next part is, and we'll end with this, what is the next step for this organization to get into, uh, I think, a healthier lockstep internally? Because one thing that I've noticed is there's been a lot of external talk in an organization that typically keeps everything in-house and buttoned up. Penn State is pretty um, corporate about keeping all of their information, their infighting in but that had that spilled over through this conversation with uh, this Penn State coaching hire and the NIL conversation so what is next for this uh this program to get into a better spot holistically yeah I I mean look it's it is a bottom line proposition Penn State's NIL for men's basketball has to be better has to be better for football too I just I feel like a broken record because I keep saying this and it's not um I, I mean, I think that certainly it's been received, right? People are hearing it. I, I don't know that there's much more I can say, though, right? In terms of uh, like exposing or pulling back the the shades on what this is, what this is is Penn State's NIL was not up to the task, was not in shape to create a confidence for Micah Shrewsbury and his staff that there was a sustainable path forward in that marketplace, right? And again, you have to have it. You cannot compete without it. Micah Shrewsbury said it himself. There's a reality here that Mike wrote, like, uh, and and again, I mean, it just, it goes back to James Franklin, right? It's the things, when whenever the conversation turns into, oh, well, this guy's just complaining. It's just a, right, a, a gripe. It's not the next guy's going to want the exact same things. And right. so Mike Rhodes, for him to succeed at Penn State, he can be the best coach in the world, truly. And I think that there is a lot of reason to believe that he is a success. Like he has a formula for success that is tried and true. It is out there. He's been successful in the places that he's been. But if he does not have resources, if he does not have a, a war chest of, NIL funding to operate with, he will be doomed to failure at Penn State. It's it is that simple, and yeah. so it's it is simply a matter of the commitment of the athletic department, Pat Kraft and his staff, uh, to push this. It is a matter of personnel hires that need to be made for men's basketball, and it's a matter of the collectives and businesses and the donor class. You name it, like it, it is. It takes a village, and this is absolutely another instance in which that is true nate bauer blue white illustrated basketball reporter doing the lord's work this uh last week or so covering penn state basketball appreciate your time nate always appreciate it thank you so much i appreciate it i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment 
That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, We'll be getting to football coverage in just one second, but we also have to acknowledge the sponsor of this show, RogueShop.com. Use RogueShop.com for 10% off at uh, your premium small batch cannabis farmers who specialize in sustainable plant medicine. RogueShop, that is Richard and Char, his wife, they bring you... Um, holistic healing. This is something I can tell you myself that I've uh, had my life bettered by the products from RogueShop.com. They help with anxiety, sleep, depression in some cases. Um, and of course, one thing that I haven't talked about enough, I, I think is also a uh, overlooked in terms of what CBD can do for you. CBD is uh, shown to reduce inflammation. Inflammation is the number one cause of destruction inside the body. Uh, Processes that create inflammation over a long time create all of the diseases and problems that you and I can deal with. So help take a supplement in your life that can take your health and take it to the next level. That's rogueshop.com. Don't forget to use the promo code BWI for 10% off at Rogue Shop. And uh, we'll be getting some more stuff from them, I think, so I can tell you more about some of their different products and we can uh, help you live a better life with a more fulfilled happiness in what you uh, experience on a day-to-day basis. Because I know having uh, some family members with chronic issues, having relief for those is a massive thing. So once again, RogueShop.com. Let's get to football. Greg Pickle, Blue White Illustrated reporter, and I were both at practice yesterday. So uh, we have our regular show to get to now where we talk about all the things that we saw, heard, felt, and maybe smelled at practice yesterday. Greg, um, any news I, I forgot to uh, go over this with you. I, I didn't pick up anything as far as like A to B newsworthy, but was there anything that you thought as our reporter here, who knows more than I do, that came out of yesterday that you want to touch on to start? Yeah, nothing hard and fast, T. Frank, but I think the important thing to note here just for the fans and the, and the listeners here and everybody else is that we are at the halfway point of spring practice. So with seven practices now in the book, obviously there's no clean and easy way to break up 15 uh, into two different halves, but we're at the halfway uh, mark for all intents and purposes. So I think that's worth pointing out. But, you know, the biggest thing is I think, and again, it's not a news takeaway. It's just a, a reality of spring practice is it. You know, if you're looking to find out who's going to win position battles uh, by the end of the blue-white game, you know, you're going to be disappointed in many cases. But I thought it was interesting that James Franklin continues to hammer home this idea that Keandre Lambert-Smith and Harrison Wallace, uh, who they call Trey, of course, have separated themselves from the other receivers yeah. in the pecking order. And now I have to find who's going to be the guys behind them. And, I, and of course, there's a number of candidates, Liam Clifford, uh, Caden Saunders, Malik McLean, Malik Mega. Uh, you know, obviously, I know many people are interested to see what Dante Cephas can do, the Kent State transfer once he gets here later this year. So they have time to figure that out. But, you know, there's a little bit of a concern or a, maybe trepidation is the right word about uh, for, I've read some in the fan base and then received some feedback from people that are like concerned for some reason about those two separating themselves. And I mean, I've been pretty steadfast in the Lions Den form over BlueWayIllustrated.com and elsewhere that like those two should be separating from the right. pack at this right. point. And they have the most experience returning right. on the roster at Penn State. They should. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. 
And, you know, Omari Evans is another guy I should have listed in that rundown of potential guys who uh, could fill out the three, the four, the five, the six receivers. But, yeah, I mean, those guys should be separating themselves, especially Keandre Lambert-Smith. I mean, the yep. talent is there. The ability is there. We've seen the production, just not consistently enough. Uh, but that's one area where if he can finally get the consistency piece as a part of his game tee, Frank, he has every reason to be a top receiver in the country. And James Franklin has said as much here during spring practices. So probably the biggest takeaway for me from James Franklin's portion of the conversation yesterday was just that he continues to hit on that point that they seem to feel really good about where those two are. Yeah, and to, there, there's a certain amount of this conversation that I think is also – I want to say coach speak because we didn't put it in in uh, between the lines today, but it is an important thing that we've gone over several times. You mentioned pretty blunt the way he he separated the receivers that are at the top yeah. and the guys, the rest of the pack. He's not going to, first off, give the depth chart. But secondly, I do think there is some gamesmanship from the psychology side of all of these guys have to compete with each other to raise the level of competition. So if nobody is standing out, he or even if there are guys that are maybe in his mind or in the staff's mind, okay, we do have an order. There is a, there's a clear order, but we want to push these guys to get more out of them, and we don't want certain guys mentally checking out. I think there is also a certain uh, strategy in keeping them all in the same pack and then trying to get those guys to elevate their game. Because I think in terms of what we've seen, which is not a whole lot, right? So we get to see just a little bit of practice each day. But guys that have stood out to me that have impressed me, Liam Clifford, I think, has been consistent throughout his career. He catches the ball really well. I think he runs good routes now. So um, you know what you're getting from that guy. But are you trying to push somebody by... Uh, keeping them all together. I think that's the part of the conversation as well. I'm going to steal one thing from uh, Fitz's notebook. Sean Fitz had the defensive notebook over at bluewhiteillustrated.com last night. So check out his thoughts and his observations on the defense because he was over there for, I think, most of the time. You, yep. myself, and Nate were all over with the offense. But what he said and what I'm, what I'm getting at here is the, um, the front seven's looking a little thin. I don't know that that's gonna bode, that doesn't very bode very well right now for the Penn State spring practice competition at one of the most important positions on the roster right. that we have been trying to get resolution and inf information from for quite some time. It does give the opportunity for guys like Caleb Artis to play more, but at the same time, you want a little bit more from that group. Now, there's some other things which you need to go bluewhiteillustrated.com for to get the information about certain linebacker lineups that everyone's wanted to see. He had some observations about that. You can join for $29.99, and you get access from now until the start of football season for premium content. Also, good time to remind you, like this video. We've got over 100 people watching, and we have 16 likes. So help us spread the word of the breaking news uh, turducken that we have here with football practice. A lot of great information coming at you. So like the video, share it with your friends, tell everyone that we're doing this live 10 a.m. Monday and Wednesday. And of course, subscribe to here on YouTube as well. Anything else from practice? I know, like I said, you and I were with the offense. Anything that stood out to you about what you observed from practice? Yeah, I mean, I just think at this point, T. Frank, that Penn State should feel like it's in a good place. But to the point you made here, um, they definitely have some concerns at different spots. I mean, James Franklin notes that Vega Ioni is playing more 
uh, center because of some bumps and bruises they've had at that position this spring. So that was not necessarily a part of the plan. They like him at guard. Um, so that is something that we heard about last night on Tuesday, March 28th. Uh, we heard much earlier in the spring that they were a little bit concerned about their numbers at the long defensive line, especially at defensive tackle. Obviously, we've noted pretty much endlessly that the linebacker numbers are light. Uh, Manny Diaz had high praise for Tony Rojas and Tamir Robinson yesterday, the two freshman linebackers. So that's a positive to take away. But yeah, I mean, I think, look, everyone enters spring practice with hopes of staying healthy and having all their guys available to do everything they want them to do at the moment they want them to do it. And yeah. the reality is it just doesn't work that way. Uh, it doesn't work that way for, you know, really any, you got to get very lucky for it to work that way. And so I just think for, for where Penn state is right now, uh, you know, they obviously have uh, another six practices to no seven practices rather to go before the blue white game. Uh, and they, they want to keep that format the same uh, as it was prior to last season when they had to do the seven on seven and special teams periods and things like that. Um, yeah. So that's the goal right now. We'll see if they can do that, but no, I just think the big takeaway is that spring is a learning time. And I think we all get excited when the spring practices start and we're going to see this and learn that and all that. And there are some of those things and you can read about them at bluewhiteillustrated.com. But, you know, for the most part, this is an install time, you know, yeah. uh, one of the yeah. big, you know, I'll wrap up here, but you know, one big takeaway yesterday, you had a chance to listen to uh, most of Manny Diaz. I was able to listen to it all this morning, but you know, if somebody asked, how would you compare this year's defense to last or what's different in year two kind of pulling on that string as he gets ready for another season as the Penn state defensive coordinator. And he said, uh, basically, look, we have to break it all down and start from where we started a year ago. Now, are they mm -hmm. ahead from knowing the formations, knowing the technique, all that stuff? Yes. Uh, but you got to build it back up. And that's yeah. the time. This is the time of year you do it. So the live periods are great. They're helpful. They're, they are instructful, but you're really building a foundation right now. And that has to be the focus, even though we all want to, you know, obviously get into the live stuff, the scrimmages, the all that, you know, all the things that are exciting. Uh, but really to have those exciting things in the fall, you have to do things that are a little less thrilling to uh, take in uh, at this time of the year. Yeah, that's one thing that uh, when when we were talking to Manny Diaz, and, and this is a mistake I made last week talking to James Franklin about, you know, I imagine in the back of his mind, Manny Diaz is already planning what he wants to do with his players. He's already cooked up some defensive schemes and knows roughly what can work compared to what he had last year and vice versa. So new things, plus he can transition other players into new positions. The way I guess I, I said it in my mind after hearing him is players uh take things from one year to the other and progress but the defense as a whole has to be rebuilt with those players so you do get progression in that players get better but the defense you have you have different personnel this year so tig brown isn't going to be on third down that was another conversation we had with him about player personnel and tig brown and, and the guys going to the draft so you have to rebuild your ideas you can't take anything for granted but you can take player progression from one year to the other with abdul carter having a better understanding of the defense being more flexible this year uh, so that that's i think a really interesting way to to look at that the other thing that i took and this will be the last thing before we get to our next segment is uh marcus Hagens. i continue to watch what he does because I want to learn more about what he's about. And I this is always the danger, Greg, is that you have a prior belief, you have a prior expectation about what you saw um, from him over time. And just a lot of the guys at Virginia, big body receivers, physical guys, high pointing the football, uh, breaking tackles, maybe not 
the most uh, athletically inclined guys that run precise routes and snap off a, r- a route stem and, and, you know, a 90-degree angle on an in route. I keep seeing him doing physical drills with the receivers. So high-pointing the football, contested catch drills, catching in contact, and then breaking tackles, where before, you know, they're running through tackles in some drills or with... Um, uh, Taylor Stubblefield, they would do a, a drill where they would turn and catch the ball and it's thrown before they're ready, so they have to react to it. They're doing that now, but in a situation where they're between two bags or they've got guys coming at them or they're, it's just much more about catching in traffic, the physicality of playing through contact. And I just, I think with this group, it was a thing that they were missing before because these are guys, there's not a lot of big physical guys that you would say, okay, that guy's a possession receiver. And these, these smaller guys or these guys that are more of the precision route runners, if they incorporate in that, game, that into their game, if Keandre Lambert-Smith incorporates that part in his game, complete receiver. Like, that is a complete receiver. So I wonder how that's going to transition and translate to the rest of practice and the rest of the spring and therefore the fall. So that's something I keep monitoring, I keep my eye on, but it keeps coming up what I expected. He seems like a dude that focuses on the physicality of the position. Yeah. Now we are going to focus on what James Franklin had to say, and we're going to read between the lines in our new segment, Between the Lines. Uh, they have both gotten our first comment is one that he has now said twice. And I want to dig a little deeper on it because this is an area where James Franklin, when he repeats something, talking about leadership to start off spring football, and now we're harping on leadership at every position. The next thing here, physicality. I'd like to see some of the young guys kind of take the next step. We're halfway through right now, and a lot of them are still kind of hesitant and not as aggressive as they need to be defensively. I think we're, we're playing actually pretty well right now. Uh, that's been that's been good to see, um, but overall we we still got a ton of work to do before the spring game. I do think we've done a good job of laying a foundation in terms of what we're going to do in fall camp, um, but but we still got a lot of work. So James Franklin talks in generalities about I want the young guys to be more physical, and maybe we're not going to get to the individual players he's talking about, but. What is your definition of young players, Greg? Is this just early enrollees? Is this second-year players, guys that are new to the position, or maybe guys that are in a starting role for the first time? When, when he's talking about young players being more aggressive, who comes to who comes to mind or what group comes to mind for you? Yeah, I wrote about this at Blue White Illustrated on Tuesday night. I get my days mixed up here in this crazy week we've had. But yeah, um, to me, it's a mixture of what you just said. It's all of it. It is inexperienced guys who have not had a first or second team role before. It is mid-year enrollees who are maybe being asked to do more because of injuries or positional depth issues or things like that. I I think you mix them all together. Uh, And so, yeah, when he says young guys, I think it's, Young guys from a playing perspective and then young guys by an age perspective together. And, you know, and the other thing I wrote last night was 
Penn State's not the only school with this uh, wish, so to speak. I mean, there's coaches across the country who want this too. And it's not uncommon to be at this point in the seventh, after the seventh spring practice to say, you know what, we like a lot of what we saw, but we need to see some more from some different guys. So I think that's what he's driving at there. And we'll find out in about two and a half weeks when he talks after the blue-white game, whether or not they were able to accomplish getting more out of those guys over the uh, eight practices that were left after the seven that already happened. So not to not to parse words too much, but he does say after saying, I want the young guys to be more physical and aggressive. Then he says, I think the defense is doing pretty good. So to me, like my mind immediately goes to the offense. We've already talked about the receivers. So I think that it's not that when we talk about the receiver group and that group of six or seven guys, it sounds like the young guys are not stepping up. It's not a it's not an issue of everybody is competing and it's raising the level. It's there's some concern there. Um, and then secondarily, they are without Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson right now. So at tight end, those young guys are getting a lot of reps. Yes. They're getting a lot of time. So are they a part of that conversation of helping the defense get better? by being the best that they possibly can be. And I think that that, to me, if I'm going to pin it down, it's going to be like those two groups because we know the running backs are good. The running backs don't have any problem with aggressiveness for what we saw last year. Quarterback, you can make that, but we'll get to that in just a second. And then, of course, the offensive line. There are players there you could lump into that group, but I, I, I... the way he talked about Vega Yuana yesterday, I have a hard time seeing like the offensive line being a part of this problem as well. Is that a fair read to you? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I do think what he said about Drew Shelton and having a learning curve at right tackle was interesting, not necessarily as it relates to this conversation, but it could as a young guy who by all accounts played as well as you could ask a first year guy to at left tackle in the big 10 and then in the Rose Bowl down the stretch, but he's over to the right side now. And we've had this conversation endlessly T Frank you can say you're going to switch sides of the ball along the offensive line. It is a big adjustment. And especially if you don't have the background of a Bryce Effner who has been in the program for, you know, or was in the program for a long time and played numerous positions. So, you know, he's a guy that comes to mind too. And again, I don't think think physicality has ever been an issue, but it could be one if you're thinking too much and not playing too fast. So yeah, he didn't name specific names, but you know, it does come to mind on the offense is probably what he's getting at, but wouldn't shock me either if there were still a couple guys on defense too, that fall into this conversation. Yeah. Especially when we're talking about defensive tackle and maybe if not everyone's healthy and you got youth there, it's not just about the guys at the position. It's about what are you providing to your opponent in scrimmages or in one-on-one drills to help them get better as well. So it, it, we talked about this last year with the offensive line not being healthy. You, you didn't have enough bodies to really give the defensive line a challenge. So, But like, like you said, everyone deals with this in the spring. It's a very select number of uh, universities and football programs that have infinite depth of talent that can challenge and make you really good. Let's get on to the next comment. And this is going to, we might spend a little more time on this one, but it's just, we need to get to the bottom of this quarterback competition uh, conversation because the conversation around it is as interesting, maybe more interesting than the competition. Um, They have both gotten reps with ones, with the ones. You know, they're, they're, they're different style of quarterbacks, which I think, you know, that's one of the things we're going to have to do a good job with during the season. Um, it's not like we can just come up with one exact same game plan because um, they're, they're different type of quarterbacks. Um, but I would say 
the majority of what they do is similar. They're both cerebral guys. They both got really high football IQs. You know, obviously, between now and West Virginia, we got a ton of work still to do. Um, I think just throwing in general, we can't throw enough. You know, with our wide receivers and tight ends and running backs and seven on sevens, routes on air, you know, we we can't throw enough. So we can't throw enough. Everyone needs to get work together. We've already talked about the receiver component of this, but is there a competition right now? They're both getting work with the ones. He's making it sound like we're going to have two different game plans for each quarterback, but is it is it a competition? Because we haven't. When there is an open competition at quarterback, you and I and the assembled media will ask six questions about the quarterback competition. Each week, it's like the fourth thing we get to. So do we even believe there's a competition going on? Because it, the way that we're treating this conversation, it doesn't feel like it. Yeah, so it's interesting because James Franklin was blunt at the start of spring practice that they were going to get an even number of reps. He was obviously instilling the idea that there was going to be a competition. But, I mean, this goes back a little bit to me to when Sean Clifford and Will Levis were battling for the job. I mean, Anytime you get into these situations, almost anytime, I shouldn't say every time, but for the most part, when you get into these quote unquote quarterback competitions, T Frank, you know, as well as I do, everyone has an expected winner in mind and it's going to take a lot to unseat that guy. And that's what we have here. That's what we had with uh, Sean Clifford against Will Levis. I mean, so when you look at all these things, yeah, yeah. Is there a competition going on? I mean, sure. We'll call it that for the sake of, um, you know, the sake of the conversation, but no, there's no question that there is a wide held belief that this is Drew Aller's job. He's a five-star. He is the guy who was the backup last year that obviously uh, puts him on a higher pedestal than anyone else in that quarterback room. So, you know, I, I just, yeah, the, the thing a lot of people are getting hung up on, I think more so than that is the comment he made about, you know, Bo's a dual thread and, you know, you know, you can't have, you're going to have to have two different game plans for two different quarterbacks. I believe that's correct. I'll make sure I yes. quoted him accurately there. Um, yeah. And that was, you know, obviously something that a lot of people are are getting hung up on. But I, I mean, I just don't read as much into it. That's the exact quote was: "It's not like we can just come up with one exact same game plan." Um, which yeah. I mean, fine, it is what it is. I, I wouldn't disagree with that in the broader sense of. You know, if Oprah Bull is out there, there's some things you're going to be able to do from a running perspective that you're probably yep. not able to do with Drew Aller. So I get where he's coming from. And I think that there's a lot being read into that about, you know, this idea of is it going to be like Tommy Stevens, Will Levis, run the ball, whatever. Uh, I just don't know if that's what he's getting. I'm not willing to go down that road yet. I think he's just saying, look, uh, these two guys can do two different you know a lot of things well and a lot of things the same but they each have individual strengths so whichever yep. one you're going to play uh you're going to tailor your game plan to accordingly which is of course that's yeah, how it that's works. Right. it always works that way so uh is there a competition here yeah i guess um i, I mean it just it, it until they name one it, it is in theory a competition but you know again we have an expected winner of this competition it'll be shocking if it's not drew aller who opens things uh for penn state against West Virginia, but uh, yeah, I, I'm not reading as much into this as everybody else is. James Franklin is notorious for trying to put out things to make his opponents think about what he's going to do, or conversely, not put anything out there so they yeah. don't know what to think. I mean, so yeah. I think sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle of all of this, too, is that uh, fans and the media and everybody else gets upset when the answers they want aren't forthcoming. 
And then when answers and, and because of a game plan thing or this or that, or, you know, giving away a schematic advantage, whatever you want to call it. But then when things are thrown out there to kind of muddy the waters, we forget about that train of thought and yeah. immediately jump to, well, what does this mean? Why are they doing that? So yeah. that's kind of where I'm at with it at this point. Uh, and I'm sure we'll hear more about this as spring practice continues. So one thing I want to say is like, I love standing on ceremony like most people don't probably. I, I appreciate the we are sticking to the idea that there is a quarterback competition. There will be a quarterback competition and we're going to treat it as such. We're not going to deviate from that, even if internally we know the outcome we want and the outcome that we expect. Um, so to be clear, I'm fine with that. But every single time I've been at practice last season, for an example of what I'm trying to talk about, Sean Clifford gave the cadence to start a play and, and Penn State has all three quarterbacks throwing at the same time to three different receivers to get more balls in the air, more efficiency, throw more routes, and it's different parts of the same play, right? Every single time, Sean Clifford was the one that led the cadence, or most of the time, he was the one that led the cadence. Sometimes Drew would get in there and then they would rotate down, but he was the guy that started everything off. I have not heard anyone but Drew Aller start the cadence for practice. So is there a competition? I guess. We don't get to see all of practice. Every indication is that it's Drew Aller's job, and, and they're getting him ready to do this. But in a separate and equal situation, they also really like Bo Prabula. He is a good quarterback. This is not coach speak to keep him out of the portal. This is they have two talented players and they're toying with the idea of how they would use those guys and incorporate their best players into the offense. But the, I guess that that's the, the way we're handling the conversation and the way that we're not, uh, um, entirely obsessed with it. It seems to indicate that we all agree with the understated idea that, that, Drew Aller is the starter and it is a comp it's not really a competition. The the second thing that I think from that is um if you've got guys that have similar skill sets, they're gonna do most things the same. But we talk about this running wildcat quarterback, and it to me it's very different when you talk about what Tommy Stevens did and what um Will Levis did. Will Levis came in in an offense that was a disaster. He was specifically tasked with getting them out of games with a win. Not necessarily what is the best for the offense, what is the best to score points. It was grind this into dust and get us a win. Tommy Stevens, when, when you look back to uh, Joe Moorhead and the creativity with which they used that position, there was some really creative, fun stuff that they did and, and that took advantage of his athleticism. So if you're looking for a comparison, forget Will Levis and what happened right. there. Look more back to what Tommy Stevens was and what he did and how they were able to use his legs as a as a dual threat, as a quasi-receiver at times. I think there's more there with a guy who's creative, like Mike Yersich, is much more like Joe Moorhead than what we saw from uh, the other iterations of running quarterback coming in. Last thing I'll yeah. say, we've got the BWI mailbag coming up next. If you've got any questions, throw them in the chat. We'll be getting to that in just a little bit. We've got a couple prepared, but I need some from you here in the chat. Bring your best question. Greg, are there any last thoughts you have about the, the quarterback competition and maybe some of the things you're looking for going forward? Do you think we'll get a resolution to this conversation soon or will no. it go into fall? 
It'll go in the fall. I feel very confident about that. Again, it goes back to a, a hallmark that James Franklin has lived by during his tenure here. And why would he change it? Is that why would I give out more information than I need to before I need to? That's part of the reason the depth chart went away. And that's part of the reason he runs things the way he does. Why does he need to make a decision on who his quarterback's going to be? And look, West Virginia is not sitting there and saying, oh, let's watch Bo Perbula's tape from last year because there isn't any. So <laughs> right. they're going to work off of what they have with Drew Aller. They're going to work. I mean, it's just they have a mountain of analysts and months to do it. So, you know, they could whether Penn State names a starting quarterback or not, it's not going to change the way West Virginia prepares for this game, in my opinion. However, uh, if you're Penn State, there's no reason to give away any secrets before you have to. And I'll just be quick on this, but. One thing I think we've really got to dial back, and I say this, is media and fans and listeners here and whoever, um, is that this idea that anytime a coach brings up a backup, he's merely doing it to keep him out of the portal. Like, right. It's yeah. starting to drive me a little bit crazy because I, so I guess my thought, if, if a kid's staying because James Franklin gave him a 15 second <laughs> shout out, in a, you know, his third <laughs> media session of the spring, like, I, I, I just I don't think these things carry as much weight as everybody wants them to. They sit in the last building and meet and have talks about these things. And, and, and I mean, it's just those things are where they have reps at practice that right, tell more yeah, of a story yeah, than the, right. the comments that he makes afterwards. So that, right. So that's my thought. I know we got to get to the mailbag, but I just let, let's I think as a as a collective group of people who discuss Penn State football, uh, be it us, be it fans, whoever, that is one thing I think we just need. And it's not just a quarterback position. It's every position. I, I just yep. don't think, you know, are there going to be times when you can look back and say, well, you know what? That when he made those comments, he was really trying to enforce that this guy is important. Yes, there's going to be those cases, but I think there's become a blanket uh, belief that anytime a guy comes up that's a backup who may not win a job, his name comes up. It's like, oh, well, he really just said that to keep him out of the portal. And I, I just don't it's think hip guys, to be cynical. Yes. That's how uh, it feels. Yes. Uh, I just don't think guys are saying, well, you know, this might be a better chance for me to play elsewhere, but he did give me that that ten second <laughs> shout out on uh, you know March twenty eighth, so I'll stay. I, I don't think that's how this works. So, all right, I've rambled enough. Let's get to the questions. I did not give the chat here enough of a head start of thinking of their questions because I meant to mention at the top, but we had a lot of stuff going on today. So um, if you've got a question, if you've got something you want to talk about, throw it in the chat. We've got a couple of warm-up questions from our subscribers at bluewhiteillustrated.com. If you want to be one of the guys that gets the primary question, gets the fancy graphics, make sure you subscribe $29.99 from now to the start of Penn State football season for inside access, including to the Lion's Den, where you can ask a question on the mailbag thread. So we're going to start with those, and then if you've got a question, we'll get to those here at at the end of the mailbag uh, best way for me to notice them by the way is if you send in a super chat always appreciated but it also shows up in big colored text so that I see it and I will make sure that I I get to it because I'm steering a battleship while also trying to talk to you guys and uh, sometimes things get through the cracks okay so poncho 570 regular here on the show says who has the light turned on for thus far in camp um, I'll start the bidding with Trey Wallace we talked about him as a guy that has separated from the pack. That was not a, a slam dunk thing that was going to happen. He was a pretty 
raw player coming in. Last year, he flashed. He made some good plays. He got playing time. But I wouldn't say that it was a guarantee he was going to turn the corner. The fact that he separated himself from the group and he is one of the outside receivers, I think that's a big deal. I think that's a bigger deal than Keandre Lambert-Smith being in that group (laughs) because you should expect that. Uh, Who's a guy that you think, from what you've observed and what you've heard and who you've talked to, that you think has turned the corner? Yeah, so I don't know if it's fair to totally put him in the the turn-the-corner group, T. Frank, but I think it probably is, and Penn State's going to need him to turn into a bigger player um, if it wants to have the best defense it can. But I've been really interested listening to a couple guys at Pro Day and then some others last night, on, and then again, I'm saying last night, March 28th, after Penn State practice. But Devon Elise is a guy who has got a lot of shot outs recently. Hmm. And, you know, where we get to watch practice from, it's not always easy to see where the defensive linemen are, what they're doing, things like that. But, you know, when we talk about the leadership question that James Franklin started uh, the conversation about, when, of course, he mentioned the fact that Penn State needs to find that this spring with so many of the captains, all the captains moving on from last year's team. His name just keeps coming up, and I find that very interesting. Uh, and I think that, you know, again, I have not seen him do anything in spring practice say, yeah, he's turned a corner, right? I mean, I, I can't look at it from the same perspective. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I just – very interesting to me that his name continues to come up. So he's a guy I'm keeping an eye on here. And then, you know, I think when you look across the board – Harrison Wallace is a really good pick and there's going to be some receivers in that room that join him in that conversation. And, you know, uh, beyond that, I mean, we're hearing a lot of good things about Cam Miller still the corner. And I don't want to say the lights. I don't know if it's again, I don't know. I think I'm trying to phrase this and more of guys like that are buzzing to me that have maybe not been off the radar and are making more of an impact. I don't know if it's fair to say lights come on uh, when you talk about Cam Miller, because he's obviously a young player, but He's a guy that's caught my attention. Like another name that's come up quite a bit. Um, so I guess it just depends when you say turn the light on. I think you're probably looking for guys that are in year two, three, uh, that are maybe taking a step forward, you know. And, and you know, so that's obviously uh, – I get that part of the conversation. But, you know, I, I don't know how many of those that we've heard about or seen yet that are really uh, super impressive. But, you know, one guy that the light should be coming on for or needs to come on for that I would say, I guess, to answer this question more directly is Malik Mega. And where is he yep. at at this point yep. after he was seemingly high up on the depth chart – fell down it, and now has a fresh start. The new receivers coach can it all come together for him. An impressively freakish physical guy who, uh, you know, needs to do more on the field if he's going to earn a bigger role for this team in 2023. Yeah, if we got to see more one-on-one positional drills, we've seen, I think, maybe twice during the last year and a half that we've been coming to Penn State practice, we might have a better idea of who stands out in those situations. A lot of routes on air, a lot of positional drills, a lot of uh, fumbling or not fumbling going through the fumble drill. So from a from an on-field perspective, uh, we, we are a little, little bit limited in that answer. But when we get through some of the back-channel conversations and some of the things that uh, people talk about, as you mentioned, the buzz, I think there's a, there's a pretty good list that Greg gave you there. Greg, I want to come back to you with this one because I... I'll admit I was not listening intently when James Franklin was asked about the special teams yesterday, but he was asked about the special teams competition. Stock up, stock down on special teams this year compared to last year. Competition going on at multiple spots, kicker, punter, and long snapper. Um, What was James Franklin's nutshell of the situation, and how do you feel stock up, stock down about what he said? At very best, I can be stock neutral at this point. I couldn't possibly be stock up. I don't know how you could be seven practices into a process that will include replacing 
literally every part of the special teams for the most part. I, I mean, I think that I'm not willing to go stock down, though. I think that's unfair to the guys who are competing and that who we haven't seen yet in terms of the transfers, Riley Thompson, the punter, and Alex Falcons, the kicker. So I'm not really ready to answer this question one way or the other. I mean, I think that obviously to be stock up at the end of the season, a lot of things are going to have to be impressive because obviously Jordan Stout did a lot for this team last year, but at the same time, um, you know, or not Jordan Stout, I'm sorry, uh, Barney Amore and uh, Jake Pinninger. Um, I'm going too far back, but yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, those guys did a lot for this team last year and, you know, Penn state is going to have to replace them. They have to replace Chris Stoll, the manly award winner at long snapper. I believe they need a new holder. If I'm not mistaken, uh, punt returners is thought they're going to need somebody new. So, they had a lot to figure out there. I, you know, James Franklin answer was look, the, Gabe, the Gabe Lanuso seems to be the leader in the clubhouse for the kickoff job. Penn State uh, fans remember he kicked off a bit last year before Sanders Sahadak took over. Tyler Duzanski, as expected, is going to be the long snapper. James Franklin later saying that, you know, with punter, uh, they're still working through that. It sounds like because of the indoor practices, they haven't yeah. been able to get as good of a feel for that as they want. Um, and, and placement kickers is, is a battle, too, with Sanders Sahadik and Riley Thompson and others. So I'm not ready to bury those guys yet and say immediate stock down, but at this, and especially seven spring practices in. But at the same time, uh, there's a lot of work to do there to figure all this out and make that unit something that can be a weapon for Penn State in 2023. I, I'm not – I think it's an under-talked-about part of this team's story heading into the season. We're obviously a very long ways away from it, but – uh, you don't need me to tell you how special teams can win you a game and lose you a game. It can happen very quickly, yeah. and it can happen in the hidden yardage that you get from a kickoff out of bounds or a kickoff that's short or a blown uh, lane that leads to a big return. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong quickly on that part of the field uh, when those guys are out there. So uh, Stacy Collins has a big job ahead of him this year to make this a stock up by the end of the year. Yeah, and we don't have a zero yet. We don't have the special teams ace that's going to wear zero for Penn right. State. So that's another thing we're going to have to find out. Uh, I feel bad uh, that Fitz isn't here. Sean Fitz loves to talk long snappers and special teams. And he missed he missed his opportunity uh, because he had appointments and things today where he couldn't be on the show to talk about special teams when somebody asked about it. So uh, we'll get his answer later, I am, I'm sure. Last question here, unless, and I'll go to the chat one last time after this, though. Uh, what are your thoughts about a real, quote, blue white game uh always a risk with full contact given our depth in some areas probably the same as a hard practice um penn state presumably going back towards a real game james franklin has said that after last year's modified game and to start spring practice bumps and bruises in the front seven but it sounds like they're still on track for that your thoughts on uh this question here and what do you prefer so, uh, well, I mean, look, it doesn't really make a difference to me, right? I mean, I think that you can learn stuff from both. I think you learn more sometimes from the scrimmage aspect. But I would also say we probably saw more of Penn State's key players, whether they are starters or reserve last year, just with that format. So I guess it just depends what you want to see. But, you know, again, there's only so many chances. I guess the important thing here is not what happens in the blue-white game, right? To me, it's about – do you have enough live opportunities during the spring, whether it's at the blue white game that you cross that threshold or before it uh, to really get good evaluations on guys? Manny Diaz yeah. put it very well last night. There's not a lot of chances to tackle in spring. There is not a lot of chance to replicate true one-on-one uh, -on -one situations at full speed where you are doing everything that you're doing on a fall Saturday on a Saturday in March or, you know, whenever it may be. So uh, I think that's the important thing. I mean, 
yeah, if you want to go back to the, the regular blue-white format, I can live with that. I could live with last year's, too. It really doesn't make a huge difference to me. The question, though, more so than anything else for Penn State is, will it get enough live reps during this spring practice, or, or will some of these bumps and bruises, especially up front, that seem to be piling up, uh, notably on the defensive side of the ball, uh, will that cause them to have to change the format? So we'll see. Uh, but again, I think the most important thing is if you had enough good healthy bodies to get live work through the first seven and you were only able to do one, you know, however many live periods they want, if they got to the blue white game and said, we don't feel comfortable doing this, but they felt comfortable with the live work they got before fans are just going to have to live with that as a part of the process in the spring. So yeah, uh, I hope that answers the question. If not, I know good subscriber there who hit us over on the message board. Uh, yeah. I, I prefer, I think everyone prefers a, a real game but even e the blue white game as it has been over the years is not like a live game the scoring is always different the defense has to be able to score um you've got two different teams with players switching sides randomly during so it's a practice but it's about the number of live reps you get and i thought they did their best last year to, to do that in that situation i think we still learn things about penn state football for me that's what i'm most interested in is are we learning things about the players that we want to know? Like, do we see great routes from guys when we see them at full speed in competition? The the uh, offensive line, do we see real push? Do we see, and maybe not even real push because sometimes you're going up against four string, but do you see effective blocking? Can I look at this and go, okay, that was done correctly. Um, and then, of course, the looks like game. I always play, in the, I love playing the looks like game. Abdul Carter looks like a monster. He actually ran around and did some tackling and looked really good. Okay, uh, Cam Miller looks like he is everything we heard of because he had uh, two pass breakups or something like that. So you can still get it either way, but I think you just get a little more about the team uh, with with a full quote game than you would we saw what we saw last year. Um, but for most fans. Come eat a hot dog, sit in the stands, wear your sunscreen. Make sure you wear your sunscreen. That's a big thing for me every year because it's probably the first time anyone's been outside. So have a good time. Last question here. Michael Wood, uh, Woodard is in the chat. He sends us a donation. Thank you so much, my guy. Really appreciate that. Are the D-line and wide receiver rooms looking better this year from last year? Greg, um, Better or worse for D-line? I think that's a, that's an interesting question, given how much we've talked about the receivers. I think you might know how I feel about that. But the D-line, what do you think as the D-line as a whole, not just the D-tackles? Yeah, I mean, James Franklin's been kind of clear that Keziah Izzard was a guy who wasn't going to be able to do much this spring. You look at where they're at along the, the defensive tackle spot specifically. They're going to need some guys to step up, and they're going to play some guys there that are not – PJ Muster for sized. So how does that change yep. his defense in 2023? I mean, I look at everything Penn State did along its defensive line last year. It has every reason to be better. Deny Dennis Sutton's going to take a step forward. I believe Chop Robinson will be better, even though he had a good year. I think Adisa Isaac, another year removed from that injury, has every reason to take a step forward. We saw good things from Hakeem Beeman, Zane Durant. I like what Smith Vilbert can do. Right? I mean, so is it looking better? Uh, I think that by the time September gets here, fans will be happy with what they see along that defensive line. I do think there's some, some guys going to have to make some jumps, though. There's no question. Yep. And so mm -hmm. trending the right way for me to be better than last year. But, you know, ultimately it comes down to it's fine to say that seven practices into the spring. 
but really where are you at eight more from now? And then where are you at in August when preseason camp starts? Have guys made either the weight or technique gains they need uh, to be ready to go? And, you know, I know we want to sit here now and say make proclamations about these things, um, but just it's hard to say at this juncture. But, you know, again, like I said before about the receivers and some others, I think you can see positive signs of things going in the right direction. But again, you got to make the jumps happen. Deion Barnes is now leading that room. How does that change things? We'll see. Let me let me be the proclamation guy. Let me make a proclamation here. The defensive ends will be better this year than they were last year, and they were great last year. I, I think that just from a progression standpoint of time and time on task with guys that are dedicated to being very good, you have a top three that could be as good as Penn State's had under James Franklin. That includes Adafi Owe and Yitor Gross Matos days with Shaka Tony. This group has physically more talent than that group. They have the size, the length, the speed, and the diversity of skills to be a complete unit and the, the high end. Each of those guys can make a case for being a top 65 pick in the NFL draft at some point if all their skills work out. So defensive end, I think they can have a breakout year and be a difference maker. They just got to get to third down. They just have to get into obvious pass rushing situations uh, because the defensive tackle position, as you just pointed out, is the huge question here. They can be good enough there, and that's what they need to be. At receiver, I think this room has the potential to be better than last year because there was a cap on what they were from a skill perspective. You know, you look at what Parker Washington wasn't able to do, not able to to work out, but we we... We don't really know how fast Parker Washington is. I think that was a conversation throughout his career. Mitchell Tinsley, you saw the athleticism athleticism scores get better at pro day, but none of them were elite. Like he he projects both those guys project as mid round receivers. The talent has a higher ceiling for the receiver room, but there is a long journey to go for them to get there. So I think you you make a great point about that greg that does it for the show we are out of time thank you to everyone who participated uh please come back next week if you want to get another question on the show couldn't get to everybody today but i do appreciate people throwing their thoughts and their opinions in the chat we will be back next monday with the bwi live show but stay tuned because there's going to be a lot of stuff from basketball there's going to be press conferences nate and i are going to sit down and have a long conversation about all this we haven't yet had a conversation about how all this is gone. So check all that out coming up this week. Blue White Illustrated here on YouTube. I'm Thomas Wright Carr. He is Greg Pickle. We will talk to you later.